Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome, everyone. I want to welcome you to the show. I don't know what it is about that intro. It's so interesting. Um, it's every time I hear it, I get a different sensation about what that means. What What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? I've had so many people tell me I have to change up that question. But let me let me welcome all of you to the Doctor Pat Show. That is exactly what you're listening to. We've got a great show, great great show for you tonight. Um, I, I I have so many questions, and of course we always get questions from the phenomenal PR people that uh, we work with. But today's show is especially important for a lot of reasons. There's a lot going on in our country about you know what sex is, what it isn't, what should be done, what shouldn't be done, whether there is such a thing as the privacy of your own home, and more importantly, the bottom line to the whole conversation about sex. Is anybody getting satisfied? So I've got a great, great, great show for you tonight because the best of the best, you know, one of the most highly trained medical professionals, sex teacher, author, on a mission to transform our culture's attitude, Sherry Winston is joining us here today. I have got a book in my hot little hands here, Women's Anatomy of Arousal. Not only that, I've already downloaded the Orgasmic Abundance free ebook, and I can't wait to talk about all of this. She's joining me here today, beyond just being on a mission right now. But, you know, she is someone that is teaching people through her classes, her workshops, for men and women, to, just amazingly to celebrate who we are. She is funny. We're going to get a little bit of that tonight. Uh, and she has a very unique perspective. And so when we start this conversation, I am so eager to talk with her about holistic sexuality and much more. Her book really does peel back the layers for those of you out there that want to know more about it. You know, peels back the layer around our culture, around sexuality, around sensuality, around whether or not only 10% of the people actually have orgasms or not. And I think that's women. I actually think that number's high. So anyway, we have a great, 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 great show for you tonight. Can't wait to get this started. And let me introduce you to my very special guest, Sherry, Sherry Winston. Sherry, it's great to have you here. Great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Certainly my, a pleasure to talk about my favorite topic. Of course it is. And let me ask you this question. How did it become your favorite topic? Well, you know, my background is I spent over 20 years as a uh, nurse midwife, gynecology practitioner, registered nurse, childbirth educator. So if you'd asked me a dozen or more years ago, I would have been all about changing birth in our culture and empowering women to have amazing birth experiences 
and uh, women to have really great experiences with their own health and their bodies. And um, after 20 years in that world, my mission shifted. And what I realized is it actually went deeper in because sex is the foundation of everything I'd been doing all those years. So that's how it, uh, that's the direction it went, deeper in, um, more foundational. Because, you know, sex makes life. We're all here because our parents had sex. And uh, if we want to empower women about their bodies, about their health care, and about their birth, we're going to have to start by transforming our culture's attitudes about sex. So that's how I got here. I love it, and I'm so right here with you. So, so here's going to be a little, uh, you know, a little self-disclosure here for a minute. Uh, I, I, you know, our down at the the uh, spiritual center I attend, they're having this summer of love uh, theme, and and they're not just the only one. There are a lot of people doing the whole summer of love theme, and you know, they're playing all this '60s music and so forth, right? And I thought to myself, okay, wow, that does take me back. It takes me back to what. I remember what we were calling the summer of love, and there were like a bunch of summer of loves. Certainly Woodstock was right up there. And there was this notion about sex, sexuality, uh, burning bras, glorious dynam, and much more. And someone made a comment to me, uh, Sherry, the other day, knowing that you were coming on the show. And they said, I want you to ask her, what the heck happened to all those flower children you know, the sexual revolution, did everyone go underground? How did we become so conservative? And I said, I will ask her that. But honestly, Sherry, I don't know if we have. And I wanted to kind of throw that out on the table for a minute. You know, as always, we're such a multicultural country that even when we look back to those um, those days of Woodstock and free love and so forth, that was still a not everybody. That was a percentage of the population, <laughs> and 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 the baby boomer, boomer generation of which I'm I'm at the end of. Um, some of them, some of them did become more conservative. Some of them, you know, grew up and got jobs and wore suits and went on to have kids themselves. And and so some of them have definitely become more conservative, and and others not so much. But you know, I think the thing about sexuality in particular was that there are these pendulum swings, and there was this swing towards this idea that love the one you're with, free love, and that sex is something you can just share with anybody in it. And the truth of the matter is sex, is sex is a profound experience. And for some people, being casual about it works, but for a lot of people, that didn't actually work that well. And, and I have to say we're, we're still not that far from it in our own younger generation now because there's this hooking up culture yes. um, that, again, emphasizes a lot of casual sex and that it, you know, friends with benefits and, it, and sex doesn't have to mean anything. And that's true for some people. That does absolutely work for some people, so I'm not judging it or saying there's anything wrong with it. If it works for you, if you can communicate about your needs and your boundaries, if you can be safe about what you're doing both in the disease realm, the pregnancy realm, and the emotional uh, potential heartbreak realm. If you can do all that and still want to play and have sex with lots of people, great, enjoy, go be safe, be responsible, and have fun. But most people, sex 
starts to create attachment when you start having sex with people. And, um, and I think a lot of the 60s generation, or really it was mostly happening in the 70s anyway, but yeah, exactly. a lot of people started to realize that actually sex is more meaningful to them and that they want to be in relationship with people. You know, this is, we're going to talk about so many things here. For those of you just tuning in, Sherry Winston is my very special guest here. She's got a phenomenal book, Women's Anatomy of Arousal. It's an award-winning book and uh, Secret Maps to Buried Pleasure. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about a number of different things here. And I, I sort of, you know, tease this idea of, um, you know, use it, looking at holistic uh, holistic sex, holistic sensuality, n- number of different layers for it. And uh, let me ask you kind of this question around, you know, th- the generation we live in now. Um, we have Internet out there. Uh, we have cell phones that you could look things up on the Internet. Some people say we, we really are, you know, plugged into sex on the Internet in a very addictive way. And therefore, there is a line that we cross over. How, how would you describe this culture, what's happening because of technology, uh, and also kind of the visualization that we are bombarded with on radio and television? You know, how does this affect uh, sex a- in this society? Well, I'll start with the holistic sexuality idea, which is really that sex is a, an integral part of who we are. That it's mm-hmm. not a separate thing. It's not about an activity that goes on with another person behind a locked bedroom door. It's really it's part of who we are. And who we are encompasses our mind, our body, our heart, and our spirit. Mm-hmm. And sex really is about connection. And first it's about our connection to ourselves and then about our connection to everything and everyone around us. And what I see in our, in our media and our cultural map of sex is a very shallow uh, model. Uh, it's about the surface. It's about how things look. Um, and um, it doesn't have a lot of uh, emphasis on integrity or communication. So I think what we're, we do have it everywhere. It's in our face. It's all over the place. It's hard to escape it. But I think that that, that, that uh, cultural map that we're given is wrong in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of misinformation um, I don't think it really helps people have better sex. I mean, Internet porn is a great example. I like to say to people, you know, Internet porn, remember, it's entertainment, not education. Um, and we need to look at it that way. So I still think we're lacking depth and wholeness in our understanding of what sex is and what it can be. And, and that's why I think so many people are so unhappy and dissatisfied Mm-hmm. Um, with their sexuality and their their sexual experiences, because we we don't have the map that really leads people to being able to experience their own ecstasy, and I mean not the drug kind, I mean the internal right, right. pleasure kind, um, and, and to feel really re- not just satisfied, but you know blissful about the pleasure we can access. I don't think we get a lot of help in figuring out how to do that or how to do relationship well another map we're lacking in our culture. So I think that's where we're at. And hopefully mm. we're, we're going to, you know, now that it's all over the place, maybe hopefully we can start bringing it deeper and making it more real for people. You know, one of the things that I, I was really struck by, I think if I would have been doing this show, I, I'm just going to say 30 years ago, and I would have said the word sex and we would have been having this conversation, we would have pretty much been talking to a mainstream population about uh, sex between men and women. 
and the landscape has changed. Uh, movies that have come out in our pop culture of, of, of gay couples together and so forth, the landscape that you reference, what does it look like? Well, we are doing better in a lot of ways. I mean, look at what's happening with gay marriage or, you know, there's a mainstream movie like um, uh, The Kids Are All Right with a, yeah. with a lesbian couple, and it's just normal now. So we're definitely making some progress about having a more inclusive idea of, of what sex is um, and, um, and who has it with who else. And, and certainly more and more people are um, not getting hung up on the, the plumbing issue. You know, you should only have sex with people who have different plumbing from yours. Um, so we're definitely making progress in some areas. And then there are other areas, um, solo sex, so... Uh, masturbation, for example, um, you know, the word masturbation means to pollute with your hand, by the way. To pollute with your hand. Anyway, so we still have a ways to go before we understand that our, our sexual relationship with ourselves is really that foundational relationship and it's important and valuable and not something to be um, ashamed of. Um, and, you know, we're, we're making progress, but we have a way to go. I, I will say also the Internet has has made it easier for people to find people with similar interests to them, particularly if their uh, interests are less mainstream or minority. So for people who are, are kinky or swingers or um, into less, so we say, just less common forms of sexual expression, are able to find people. So there's really some wonderful things that the Internet has brought us in this, this um, way of, connecting in fact 30 years ago we wouldn't be having this conversation absolutely not absolutely not we really have made progress in some ways and i i so appreciate that and you know i still i was um had um uh somebody just tell me they they had put up a flyer for a class about orgasmic abundance yes and uh the health food store and that it was taken down with you know because people were appalled that the word orgasm was on a flyer Wow. <laughs> yeah, I right. know. Right. Right. And, you know, they, they should get that Mae West quote then. You should have put that up. What is it? An orgasm a day keeps the doctor away or somebody like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting because I, this is why I was so, I was, I'm so delighted to have you on the show. Sherry Winston is my guest and the book is phenomenal. Women's Anatomy of Arousal. It's so interesting that you say the word masturbation or even imply it, uh, in public or otherwise and, and you'll clear a room. But when it comes to actually talking about it in our pop culture, vibrator jokes are pretty much at the top of the stand-up comedian's act these days. You know, it, it sounds like a disconnect, but it actually isn't. And, you know, in the presence of, of women, at least that, that I know of, you know, there are open conversations about that where there never could have been before. And I'm, I'm talking, uh, you know, Gay women, heterosexual—it doesn't matter. It seems like we've ju- we've we've made some progress here in the vibrator range. <laughs> we've made progress, and we have made progress, and it's so important to acknowledge. I mean, there's 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 ads for vibrators now on TV and for lubricants. Oh and, my gosh! Uh, yeah. yeah, and and in you know catalogs for I was just thinking the catalog of um. You know, handy dandy home things and, you know, all these little clever things. And sure enough, there's a page with intimate aids 
It doesn't mm. say the word vibrator. It doesn't say the word sex. So there's still this very coy language, but it's like, well, look at that. They're they're. It's it is progress. We're getting better. We have a way to go, though. Mm. Sherry, what is what is if I were to ask you on the top three of your list, what are the top three things that are on your radar right now when it comes to sex? You know, what's there tonight for you? Well, um, it's of orgasm. I just have orgasm. We're we're a very goal oriented culture, so I don't want to make it about this goal that people have to reach. But the fact is that there are a lot of women who've never had an orgasm or are mm. orgasm challenged, and it breaks my heart because a lot of women and men of, about that issue or other issues, maybe performance issues, are walking around feeling broken. Mm. Um, like everybody else is having a great time except them. Uh, you know, when the goodies were getting given out, they didn't get any, and and that's just one of the top issues for me, which is about helping people realize that all this stuff is learnable. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just stuff you haven't learned. So that's always at the top of my list. It's been at the top of my list and for a long time and in, until we stop having so many people walking around feeling uh, broken about it. I think that's going to stay there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. next one would be about relationship integrity. Um well, you know, it's like every week we have a new cheater. We have a new person who's, you know, um, behaving badly. We see it in our sitcoms, in our movies. And um, what we're not seeing is a model of relationship integrity that says um, make commitments and keep them. Oh, yeah. If you make a monogamy commitment, be monogamous. If you don't want to be monogamous, don't make a monogamy commitment. Be polyamorous. Be a swinger. You know, find uh, the people who want the same relationship style you do. And if you're in a monogamous relationship and you don't want to be any more, then the thing to do is not cheat, but go to your partner and say, this is not working for me. And um, it might mean you can open your relationship. It might mean you need to complete your relationship. But I want to I want to get this information out to people about how to be in integrity in the relationship. So that would be that would be high on my list. Yeah, and you know, even in the movie you mentioned, the kids are all right. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, I, I guess they couldn't make a movie that people would go see without having a little cheating thing go on in there. Doesn't that seem like the case? The same thing. Well, I, I couldn't figure it out otherwise. I don't know. Maybe you can give me some insight to that. But, you, you know, I, I guess they couldn't make a, a mainstream movie about two women together without having that in there to make it, I don't know, controversial enough for people to go to. And so doesn't that sort of thing, you know, support what you're saying? You know, are we elevating sort of the the or Brit, let's just say, aren't we breaking down sort of the integrity a bit? about relationships by what is being applied implied in our pop culture? It's definitely an issue, but I, I want to go to the even deeper one. You're asking me sort of my three top things, and this might yes. be my another one, which is to understand that I don't think humans are a naturally monogamous species. Mm-hmm. And the, you can look at the statistics about cheating, which are 30 40% of women, um, 50 to maybe 75% of men, but you can look cross-culturally. You can look throughout history. And if we were a naturally monogamous species, we just would be monogamous. It wouldn't be an issue. So I think um, we need to get realistic about understanding that we're going to be attracted 
to more than one person in our lifetime. Now, we might choose to only be sexual with one person in our lifetime, and that's a completely valid choice. But to ignore the reality of uh, um, the, the tendency for humans to look around at other people and go, yum, yum, that looks good, ooh, yum, <laughs> um, and to just, like, start with acknowledging that that's true and then decide what are we going to do about it. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see some you know, acknowledgement that the the sexual urge is not, we're not um, naturally a monogamous lifetime pair bonding species. And well, you know, then deal with the reality. Well, it, it's interesting, uh, you know, talking about it that way, because it, it's, we don't really have a forum except perhaps for your work and others that are doing the work, uh, work such as yours. We don't have a forum for that, for that conversation. The forum that we have right now is don't cheat. Don't look. Right. Don't look at him. Don't look at her. Don't look uh-huh. at the six pack. Don't do that. If I catch you doing that, right? And then out of that comes, arguments comes a whole bunch of other things we don't really have a dialogue to say you know what honey i looked at her and that's all i did and we don't even know where to go from there and we what we don't have what we have is the either you're monogamous and you stay true to that which Mm -hmm. a sizable percentage of people do or you're monogamous and you cheat which a substantial percentage of people do. And we don't have another option that says, could we be consciously non-monogamous or what can we do with these urges and still remain monogamous? So that's, mm. that's what we're lacking, these other pathways. Um, and we have, you know, so much body image issues and, um, you know, so for, you know, for women and an increasing percentage of men. So for a lot of women... You know, when your partner is looking at porn, for example, and seeing all these porn actresses, um, the vast majority of women are just going to feel really threatened by that because we don't look like that. That's not a, a real um, uh, representation of the, the enormous range of female beauty out there. So, you know, it raises all of these other issues that we have about um, what sexy is and, and how we need to look, and if we don't look that way, we're not. And, and sexy comes from inside, from confidence and comfort with yourself. And, um, again, that shallow cultural perspective, um, I think, you know, really feeds that. And, and mm. the body image issues. Um, there was an interesting study that said for, it was, it was over 80% of women acknowledge that body image issues arise for them regularly during sex and are an, uh, an inhibiting and blocking factor for them in their sexual pleasure. Yeah, that's the majority. It's shocking. Of it's shocking and true. You know, yeah, it's exactly. it's shocking and true. And, uh, you know, and, and part of this is the, for me and getting to chat with you tonight is really to touch the tip of the iceberg, maybe, about what you've put in in the book. And, and I wanted to ask you about it. A couple things in the book are just a, a just want to get to tonight you know women's anatomy of arousal i mean this is this is your latest there people have raved about this book you know my friend and colleague dr chris northrup as well um and i wanted to ask you you know this book says so many different things in it 
what are the messages that you wanted to uh, have people, the reader, what are the messages you wanted them to get first and foremost? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the book really has sort of three sections, and the first one are the new maps and models. So to start reformatting our minds about what sex is and, and how it operates and, and how we can get to where we want to be or, and, or even what our potential is. So the whole first section is about that. The middle part of the book, the heart of the book, well, the crotch of the book, really, <laughs> is, is about female genital anatomy. And um, I know this is just a shocking statement, but our textbooks, our sex books, uh, everything I learned in all those years I went to school uh, about the female genitalia, which I specialized in, um, was in incomplete and often inaccurate. And so... What I started to realize in, in my work, even when I was still a midwife, I was starting on this, this, this sort of treasure hunt, well, the pleasure hunt, really, right? Right. To, to starting to discover there were things, there were parts that I had, that all women have, that I had never heard of, that I didn't learn about. And that's, that's crazy. This isn't rocket scientists. It's just the body. Um, so we really need to know what we've got and how it operates and how we can make it operate better. And I, I will say it's certainly it's about pleasure, but it's also about health. There are enormous health implications in not understanding our equipment and having our medical professionals not understand it. Um, and I'll just give you one example. Yeah, yes, that. please. Um, our uterus, the uterus is a player in arousal and orgasm. And I didn't learn that in school, and, and this country we've got... A shockingly high rate of hysterectomy. Uh, over uh. a third of women over the age of 60 don't have a uterus anymore. Mm-hmm. And women are routinely told by their, their doctors that having a hysterectomy, having their uterus removed, is not going to affect their sexual experience. And that's just not true because the uterus does have a sexual function. But I didn't learn about that in school. And so, again, it's not just about pleasure. It's about um, health and pleasure, which are completely connected. Anyway, then the last part of the book is about how you can apply all this information and learn how to really use all the tools that you have that you came equipped with to have the most amazing and extraordinary sexual experiences. And and even though the book is predominantly written about women, I will say pretty much all of the maps and models and the paths to how to get to these extraordinary experiences apply to men as well. And you know what? It's a great gift, uh, ladies, whether you're with a man or a woman. I'll tell you, it is a great gift to be given this book to somebody. Um, let, let's tell people, before we, we jump into holistic sexuality, I want to take a moment, and I want to make sure folks know how to find out more about you, Sherry, because you really offer a ton of great information, free information on your website. So let's give out your website. Well, I run the Center for the Intimate Arts, and you can find our website at intimateartscenter.com. And, uh, yep, there's free ebooks and some Ask the Sex Teacher Anything audios and webinars, and they can look, um, look at the book there and order the book there. They can find out about the retreats I run and the classes and online classes, which, is a, which are uh, webinars. So you hear me talking, and you see images, and you can watch it at home and... So we've got lots of ways and, and uh, more coming all the time. 
I'm well, I got to tell you, I got my eyes on. Okay, I have got my eyes. Sherry did mention this, so I'm gonna mention it. Okay, so if you go to her website, you go click on retreats, everybody. Okay, there are a couple of them. I got my eye on the Costa Rica retreat that you were doing in January of 2012. Oh my gosh, that's going to be amazing. A whole week. Well, I, and one of the things I wanted to ask you, you say it's for men and women and singles and partners. Yeah, almost everything I do is. Good. Because, as you know, as I was saying before, your sexuality is foundationally about your relationship with yourself. And we, we tend to think it's something we do with other people, but it begins with you. So the, the retreats, um, I'm doing another one in September in, in um, upstate New York, uh, that's a three-day retreat um, with another sex teacher, Giles, who's a fantastic teacher, and, and then I'm doing the Costa Rica one in January. And these are just opportunities for anybody, no matter what your gender, your orientation, your plumbing, your partnership status, to really learn how to play your own instrument. I and love it. You know how to play your instrument, well, then you can play solos, then you can play duets, whatever <laughs> you like. Oh, my gosh. Well, all right. Let's talk about holistic sexuality, W-H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C, holistic sexuality. Uh, first question has got to be, what is it? How are you describing it? I know how you're doing it in the book, but I want our listeners to hear this. Well, for starters, I really believe sex is our vital life force. It's our life energy. and Maybe that goes back to my days of being a midwife where I got to be there when babies are born, um, but sex made us, sex made those babies, and and it's sexual energy that, that is our vital life force. And, and so rather than looking at it as something shameful, as, an, as activities, to really start to recognize that, that sexual energy is what, what makes all multicellular life, the whole complex, diverse world is here because of that sexual urge. To, to mate and merge and procreate. And, and so to me, it's a, it's a thing that's both sacred and to be celebrated and to be understood. And so the holistic sexuality model is, starts with that foundational idea, then about the idea that, that this is about your relationship with yourself. If you want to have great relationships with other people, you need to have a great relationship with yourself um, and our whole selves. As I said before, our mind, our body, our heart, our spirit, our past, our present, and every future we imagine. And also, you know, the wonderful thing about human sexuality that's just so fascinating, you know, we're different from all the other animals except for a few because we can have sex whenever we want. Most other animals, sex happens when the female is in heat, when she's fertile, not with humans because for us sex isn't just about reproduction. It's about connection and relationship and attachment and pleasure and reproduction and fertility and all of those things. And they're all connected for us. So that's why I think about this as the connection paradigm, that it's about understanding those connections, understanding how it operates, and understanding that for us, sex is both natural and learned. That there's mm. the part of us that's the hardware, that's our our ancient biological template, and that's real and that's part of our sexuality. It's like what I was saying before that, you know, just walking around, going, looking around, going, yum, you know, that's, that's, that's part of the programming that's in there. So we need to 
learn how to understand that and not be ashamed of it, not be ashamed of a of that sexual um, urge that arises that's what created us and brought us here. And we're the learning animals. So for us, just like learning another language or learning to play an instrument, um, sex is also learned. And that's why wherever you are in your learning journey, you can learn more if you want to. You don't have to, but you can. Like learning to play an instrument. You don't have to learn how to play the piano, but if you want to, you can. And you'll have to practice. And if you want to become a, a sexual virtuoso and a, a master of your own erotic energy, you will definitely need to practice, but that doesn't necessarily involve a partner. You can practice and learn with yourself. And in fact, if you really want to be a, a master of anything that you do, it, it does take practicing and learning with yourself. So those are all parts of that whole big whole sexuality model that I developed. Let's see if we can get at the truth of something. Uh, I got a couple of questions being instant feedback being sent in here uh, from our listeners. One of them is this. Wow. Wow. This show is, this show is pretty hot. Got a question for Sherry. Um, you know, it seems like if you turn 40, you're on your way to turn. It seems like as a woman, if you turn 40, you're on your way to 50. If you're 50, you might as well shut, shut it down. Um, our pop culture would have us believe that sex doesn't really happen after the age of 50. And um, this is confusing to me. And I, how do I get support? How, do, how can I become the sexual being that I know that I'm meant to be? So really the question, Sherry, is about ageism around sex. Well, we certainly have it. Our, our culture says that, you know, in order to be sexy, you have to be young and slender and look a certain way. And I actually think that we're confusing uh, reproductive maturity uh, with actual sexual maturity. Reproductive maturity means you can make a baby, and that happens fairly young. Uh, but true sexual maturity, I think, takes confidence, experience, wisdom, and I think for most of us, that doesn't happen until we've had uh, a number of decades under our belt. So I, I like to say that true sexual maturity usually goes along with some wrinkles, some gray hair, and some cellulite. Um, so I, I think that that's an important model that we have to hold out. Uh, then I do think we want to understand that sex does also change for people as we age and not expect it necessarily to be the same experience we had when we were 20. I mean, when I was... 20, I used to go out dancing all night, and now it's like, really? <laughs> I, don't oh. wanna go, I don't even want to go out dancing all night. Oh, um, man, I'm in by 9.30 if I do go. Isn't that, that, that's, I'm sorry about that, but that's just the truth of that. Exactly. So I think we want to be realistic about the changes that happen with our sexuality while still understanding that um, for a lot of people, the best sex we're going to ever have in our life is going to happen as we get older, as we get more comfortable, more assured, um, you know, in order to be a virtuoso of something, to really master any skill or craft, uh, it takes 10,000 hours, they say. Um, so one of the things about sex is it should and can get better as we get older and more expanding uh, of what sex is. If, um, For example, as men age, uh, erection might not be as 
uh, quick and assured as it was when they were younger. And some people can look at that and go, oh, no, this is terrible. My my uh, my erection is, is, is failing me. And other people could look at that and go, oh, well, this is giving me the opportunity to slow down and be more whole body oriented in my sexuality and explore things I might not have explored before. You know, so we can look at the changes as opportunities as well. You know, I had this wonderful couple that I was counseling. They were in their 80s. And um, she was coming to me about a health issue, but it was great because they started the session by saying, oh, yeah, we can't have intercourse anymore. That we just That's just, you know, not in our repertoire anymore. But we have so much fun. We do this. We do that. We've got such a great sex life. And I just was so um, appreciating that, that rather than looking at this as a terrible, devastating loss, they just looked at it as an opportunity to try new things and explore different ways to be sexual with each other. So I think we want to be realistic about the changes of aging um, and also see the opportunities that happen either, you know, as we get older or if we have health issues or, or disability issues, that that can, that that can be a, a wonderful opportunity to expand what we do. Well, you know, and uh, this uh, leads to another question that had come in earlier. Um, and the question is around what seems to be the rise in incest. Now, I'm not sure if there is a rise in incest or we're just getting uh, more reports of it. But the question comes in about, you know, how does one go about the healing process if if you have been a victim of incest and you're now, uh, late in life, just discovering those issues. I mean, how does one go about the healing process? And, and, and can someone that has a history of abuse, whether it's incest or otherwise, how do they, Sherry, get to the place where they can feel good about themselves and, and good in relationship? Mm, that's a fabulous question. We could spend a whole show. I hope you'll come back and that. do that with me. I would, I would love to do a show on that. We could. That would be, you know, there's so much to talk about. But, but what I'll say, so the short answer is, it is possible to heal this. I have met so many people, including people who are, are teachers of, of sexuality, who've gone through that journey. And I think there's a couple of essential ingredients. I mean, one is acknowledging it. One is just telling the truth. Um, as best you can about what happened. And this goes for all kinds of sexual trauma right. that so many people have experienced. So starting with telling the truth. And then you need to create a support team. Um, I'm sure there are people who have healed these things all by themselves, but most people I know who've gone through a healing journey have had support with therapists and groups um, and, and friends, and there's, there's wonderful books and workshops and, and retreats and things, you know, like I teach or... Um, so, so get that support team. Find the people who've been on that healing journey and they've written a book about it or it can be a, a counselor to you. So you have guides. You don't need to figure that out all by yourself. It is a process. It is a journey. It is going to take time. And it can be done. Some of the most sexually empowered people I've ever met are people who have reclaimed their sexuality um, you know, fiercely because they've been through that journey. So that's oh, thank the, the you. shortest answer I can make. 
Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's, it's definitely um, certainly an issue that we've talked about here on the Dr. Pat Show several times. Um, and, and there is a lot of information. You're absolutely right uh, about that. Uh, you know, one of the things... that. You know, that's, that's a real shift, too, in our culture. It is. Um, that there are these resources out there. People aren't having to deal with this in isolation anymore. So that, that's, that's, a real, that's a real step forward that we have. I think it is, because if we're not talking it as part of the media, and especially the reach that we have on the Dr. Pat show, if we can't talk about it in a healing way, um, then how are the people out there going to get enough information about what's happening so they can at least rise up? I mean, this is what I hear so often, Cherry. You know, people that have been in abusive relationships with sexual abuse or incest or otherwise, you know, the hardest thing that they they really struggle with is this idea of rising up. You know, their self-esteem, their self-worth, their body image. Can they love? So maybe we should do a show on that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, again, it starts with that relationship with yourself. It's about... Mm -hmm. Healing that shame inside yourself—that's mm. that's the, that's the big challenge, um, and it's possible. And 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 that's why I want everyone to know that you know wherever you are on your journey, um, there is hope, and and there's healing, and there's learning, and you're not stuck there in that place for the rest of your life if you choose to not be there. You know, you are an educator. And this show is, it's, it's packed with lots of information. But for those of you that are listening, I will love to encourage you to get a copy of Sherry's book, Women's Anatomy of Arousal. And also, if you go to the website, you know, just, just check it out. What you're going to find is a lot of information. And, and Sherry's website is, uh, intimateartscenter.com. That's arts with an S intimateartscenter.com lots of information you can get on the newsletter uh, find out about the retreats and much more Uh, Sherry I wanted to uh, you know to ask you um, about the here and now you know we fast forward to today we've talked about a number of of different a number of different things And, and one of the things I think that you know we haven't really jumped into is that this is what I need to know to have great sex tonight with my partner. This is what I should have at my fingertips or in my bedroom or close to me or somewhere. Tonight's the night. It's going to happen. Um, and, and it's almost as if we're ashamed to plan this. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So, we, we have a myth that sex is only good if it's spontaneous. Yes. It's only good if desire overtakes you and you succumb to it without any planning or timing or setting up. And, and I think that, you know, one of the big topics these days is sort of sexless marriages and yes. and that whole, um, you know, sex after a baby comes and we're so busy. And, <laughs> and I think the truth is if you want to have a great sex life with yourself or your partner, um, it takes planning. It takes scheduling. It takes you know, um, I'm a night owl. My partner's an early bird. Uh, if we don't plan, you know, uh, it's a nice weekend, mid-afternoon 
time, um, we're not going to get those nice, long, leisurely uh, dates that I like to have at least sometimes. I mean, you know, it's one thing you're going to squeeze in a, a, a quickie or a, um, a short session in your busy everyday lives, but to really kind of look at your calendar and go, okay, Sunday afternoon, 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock, we got that mapped out for intimacy time. Um, and I think we need to do that because otherwise we're not going to get it. I know. I mean, my gosh. I mean, you got to go out and get the chocolate and strawberries, don't you? Why not? You know, or, um, <laughs> you know, or just taking the time to shift your environment a little, yes. lighting some candles or putting on music or, or lighting some incense or some aromatherapy um, is really also important because we need to shift out of our everyday mundane world and our and our everyday busyness and our work and our family and everything. There's so many pressures, and in order to shift into lover space, um, doing those little things of taking a nice shower and putting on your silk robe and lighting candles, just it shifts everything, and it just toggles you into, oh, now it's time for intimacy and pleasure and connecting. We can do that with ourselves. I want to say this again. We can have a hot date with ourselves um, or with a partner, whether we're partnered or not. So it's it's really special when we do those little things. And rather than um, uh, feeling like, well, the planning is bad, we can just look at that as an opportunity to create really effective strategies to have more pleasure in our lives. You know, this is this is probably going to be my last question because this one is a doozy. I was um, having a conversation with someone uh, a couple of days ago, and you know, she was saying uh, our folks learn about our upcoming interviews way in advance, and so she was saying, you know, this is really the challenge. She said, "Here I am with my partner, and we're having sex, and I'm trying to." direct the action she said this is what she said and what she's trying to say is i'm trying to communicate to my lover what feels good for me and and what she said sherry is this was so difficult to do and ultimately what was said uh was like what are you all of a sudden a sex coach and so let's talk about this whole idea of actually getting our needs met by letting our partner know what's working and what's not. Oh, that's such a good and big question. And I'll and I'll go back for a moment to the maps we don't have. We have no modeling in our TV shows or our movies or books anything about sexual communication. We you know in the movies they just that they run towards each other and their clothes fall off and they're kissing and they're making passionate love and the fireworks go off. You never once hear anybody going a little to the left. (laughs) Um, By the way, what are we doing about birth control? (laughs) You just don't hear any communication. So I think it is a challenge to learn how to do it and how to do it well. And I think we can get very stuck because um, we we don't want our partners to feel criticized. Um, We don't really want, actually, I don't think we really want to be directing all the action. I think part of going into our sexual trance and arousal as a trance state is we'd like to be able to 
not be the driver of the car, right? <laughs> we don't want to be navigating and driving. We want to actually relax into the pleasure of it. So we don't necessarily want to be going, okay, now go to the knee and now um, one inch at a time, work your way up the inner thigh, not too fast. You know, I mean, we don't really want that level of, of directing our partner because we're not going to be in our pleasure then either. So it is an art form to learn effective sexual communication. And I think one of the, uh, one of the ways to do it is to actually set up dates with our partner that are dates for learning and playing, that are actually games where we can practice those skills that are sort of separate from our regular sexual experiences. So we might want to have a, a game about feedback where maybe our partner is just giving us a foot massage. Right? Make it, make it not as, as, as fraught. <laughs> as not, um, and practice how to give feedback about what pleasures us in a positive way. So, and, and, and maybe we want to take uh, 30 minutes one night and give each other 15-minute foot massages and practice giving exquisite feedback. Um, and we can come up with lots of different games like that. But, but here's just a, a suggestion. When we frame our feedback in a positive way, and even in an erotic way, then that's going to add to the experience. So rather than going, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't believe you're doing that thing again. I told you I hate that thing, right? Um, or you're doing it wrong, or ow, you know, any of those things, that's not really going to help the sexual energy thrive between us and our partner. But if we can start with a positive, like uh, when something isn't quite right. So maybe your partner's stroking your thigh and um, you're not liking how they're doing it. But rather than go, oh, I don't like that, go, I love that you're paying attention to my thigh. My thigh loves the attention. And, and, not but, and it would feel even better if you did it really slowly. Ooh, ooh, oh, that's so good. Even, ooh, even slower. Oh, that would be so hot if you did it just excruciatingly slow. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, my gosh. That is so hot. I love that touch. I love that slow stroking touch. Something like that is going to add to the sexual fuel um, rather than turning them off. So, so, so starting with the positive, uh, encouraging, um, and speaking what you want in a way that is about your pleasure. And then, what don't we all want to give our partners pleasure? I mean, of course we do. So when we know yes. that we're doing something that gives them pleasure and then they're guiding us how to give them more pleasure, that's hot as opposed to um, uh, deflating the sexual energy. So, But we have to train ourselves to be able to, to do that. Well, do you, uh, do you, and this, this is, you know, part of the conversation I was having with this person the other day. It was, uh, you know, it was, okay, you know, is it, is it the thing to do to have conversations about our sexual life, uh, when we're actually not having sex? How do we go about having that conversation to provide information. Uh, and, and I said to her, are, are you talking like over breakfast or something? And I think this is really the struggle. Uh, and, and this is a woman, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's the same for men. But this is the struggle. 
you know, and I could hear her pain in that Sherry. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even know when to have a conversation with her partner about it. Well, I'll tell you, I do think we we want to have and need to have conversations about our sex when we're not having it. And when we're bringing up something that's difficult or we haven't done it before, to start by saying what's true for you, which might be something like, you know what, honey, I, I really feel like we, we need to talk about our sex so it will get better because I love you so much and I want our sex to just keep getting better and better. And so I know we need to talk about it, but I'm, I'm really feeling shy about it or it's uncomfortable and it's kind of weird. But I, I know that if we talk about it, it's going to get better. So I'm going to, I'm going to be brave even though I'm feeling nervous and, and, and figure out how to have a conversation with you about this. So start by saying what's true. I feel nervous about this or I don't know how to talk about this or I don't know how to bring it up or, um, and, and think about what the time is. You don't want to do it right before you're, you know, you've got to run out the door in five minutes or the kids are about to burst in the room. So, so find some time to have those conversations. And I'll give one other tip, which I think is a really easy one, which is after you're done having sex, we like to call this playing the highlights tape. You know, like after a sporting event, they, they go over the game highlights. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so after you're done, you can play this little game and you can, you can tell your partner, oh, oh, that moment when you just looked in my eyes and, and just, just everything stopped and you just gave me this love look. Oh my gosh, that was so special to me, you know, or you can go, oh, when you were sucking my toes, whoa, that just really worked for me. And this is another way we can learn about the things our partner liked, plus we get an, an extra little erotic thrill about hearing it afterwards. So it's a great little game. And, uh, and you just stick with the positives, right? If you've got criticism or things you want to talk about, save that for a, you know, the next day or a separate session. But after you're done, play the highlight tape and remind each other of those great moments and what really worked and what you really liked. And that will help build up your repertoire of, of, uh, of knowledge and information about each other and, and get get you in that place where it becomes easier to talk about. Wow. Sherry, this has been great. Thank you so much. Uh, thank oh. you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. It's fabulous being on your show. I just I think you're wonderful, so it's just a delight for me to chat with you about all this. You as well. And I hope we will be able to schedule a show and talk about incest and, and abuse and talk about, you, you know, what are the taboos? What are we not talking about? But also provide some information for our listeners. Um, it is still, as you know, a conversation that most people don't have. Uh, and, and it's extremely difficult. But let me just kudos for the book. Love the book. Love your work. Uh, and thank you so much for joining me here today. Thanks so much for having me. Like I said, it is such a pleasure. All right, everybody. Sherry Winston, I want to send you to the website one more time because I already lo- downloaded a whole bunch of things here. Go to intimateartscenter.com. That's arts with an S. So it's intimateartscenter.com. Lots of information. The book, you'll see it. Lots of freebies. Information about the retreat. The learning uh, center on the website has webinars, audio, video, quotes, resources, you name it. Sherry, you rock. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Everybody out there, you rock too. And so if you really want to rock a bit more sexually, 
Women's Anatomy of Arousal. That's the book. We'll see you next time on the Dr. Pat Show. Oh, someday, not somehow.